Greetings, this is podcast number 76 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, we're going to have a wide-ranging discussion of that totally misleading economic term so beloved by the right, the free market. By the time we're finished, you'll never hear the phrase free market the same way again. Let's get right into it. One of the more exasperating things when speaking to a right-winger is that virtually no matter what subject you're talking about, if you're making good points and the right-winger has nothing to say, they'll resort to their old standby, all-purpose answer to anything, the free market. They'll accuse you of subverting the free market. Oh, I'm sick of it, aren't you? The free market this and the free market that. The free market will solve this problem. The free market will solve that problem. What brilliant marketing! Who could be against a free market? What, do you want an unfree market? An enslaved market? How could you not be in favor of a free market? We're going to look at this rebranding of right-wing economics from a variety of different angles. Some are highfalutin theory, others down and dirty in the trenches experiential. I hope everyone will hear something in this podcast to grab onto and use it to speak truth to power the next time a right-winger is standing in front of you pulling their free market shtick. This will be a longer podcast than usual, so please sit back and enjoy the ride. My sources are columns that appeared in the Christian Science Monitor, the New York Times and CommonDreams.org, the Vatican website, the Census Bureau website, conservativenannystate.org, a New York Times editorial, onlineliterature.com, the website of the University of Houston, and townhall.com. The bottom line of this entire podcast is, first, there never was a free market, and there isn't one now. Second, even if there were, the results such a free market or any market produces, are not something we're compelled to accept as holy writ. Let's start off with whether we have a free market. There can't be a free market because the theory itself is fatally flawed. The way I see it, the only time there ever might have been a truly free market was when two of our distant ancestors, fairly equally matched in size and fighting ability, met on the ancient savanna thousands or tens of thousands of years ago, and decided, by grunting and groaning and pointing, I don't know, did they have language back then, to trade one item for another. As Nobel Economics Prize winner Joseph Stiglitz puts it in economic theory terms, quote, All is not quite as perfect as the perfect market models with their perfect competition, perfect information, and perfectly rational consumers, close quote would have you believe. There are the factors of market power, unemployment, and that, well, people are people. Quote, people aren't just rational economic actors, but consumers, contending with advertising, political persuasion, and social pressures. Close quote. So what do we have if we don't have a free market? We have a complex, heavily regulated market that conservatives like to mislabel a free market. 
Here's conservative writer George Will in a January 2002 column, quote, A mature capitalist economy is a government project. A properly functioning free market system does not spring spontaneously from society's soil as dandelions spring from suburban lawns. Rather, it is a complex creation of laws and mores. Close quote. Will repeated this view to Sam Donaldson on ABC that month. Quote, Conservatives have to understand that capitalism and free markets don't just spring up like crabgrass. They're the product of a very complicated set of laws and enforcement and provisions. Capitalism's a government program. Close quote. So Will is admitting that the right wing's free market is not a market that is characterized by a lack of government intervention. No, the right wing free market that they shout about ad nauseum means a market that is created with heavy government intervention. In Will's words, it's a government program. What type of government program? It's called by many non-right-wingers corporate welfare. Corporate welfare that belies any notion of a free market. Ralph Nader defines corporate welfare as including, among other things, quote, grants and direct subsidies, pork for defense, transportation, and other industries, tax subsidies, loopholes, and other escapes, bailouts, export and overseas marketing assistance, immunities from civil justice liability and liability caps, below-market-rate sales, below-market-rate insurance, and below-market-rate loans and loan guarantees." Close quote. I would add billions of dollars of no-bid contracts, for example, in Iraq and for Katrina rebuilding. In 2002, then-Representative, now-Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont said corporate welfare amounted to $125 billion a year. There are also non-monetary aspects of our non-free free market economy. For example, it's interfering in the market to make it more or less difficult, in the reign of right-wingers, far more difficult, to form unions. This entire situation has been summarized very nicely by Dean Baker in his book The Conservative Nanny State, How the Wealthy Use the Government to Stay Rich and Get Richer. Quote, Conservatives are enthusiastic promoters of big government. They are happy to have the government intervene into the inner workings of the economy to make sure that money flows in the direction they like, upward. It is accurate to say that conservatives don't like big government social programs, but not because they don't like big government. The problem with big government social programs is that they tend to distribute money downward or provide benefits to large numbers of people. That is not the conservative agenda. The agenda is getting the money flowing upward, and for this, big government is just fine. Of course, conservatives don't own up to the fact that the policies they favor are forms of government intervention. Conservatives do their best to portray the forms of government intervention that they favor as part of the natural order of things. This makes these policies much harder to challenge politically." Close quote. Instead of the misleading term free market used by the right, the edifice that has been erected should properly be called a heavily regulated pro-corporate market or a shift wealth upward market. It's not a free market as most people would understand that term. 
How hypocritical is it of these right-wingers that they try to destroy every progressive proposal by saying it interferes with the free market, when at the very same time they've interfered with the market in a massive way in their own interest? Let's take a quick break and when we return we'll examine some of the results of the non-free market which corporate America has created for its own benefit. Okay, so the so-called free market is in reality, no matter what conservatives call it, a pro-corporate market structure created by heavy government intervention. The next thing to consider is, what has been the result? It's very clear. To the extent this type of a market is less regulated in a progressive manner, the more this market produces disastrous, terrible results for the average American. It's precisely because this right-wing type of market produces such horrific results that progressive government programs arise in the first place. By a progressive manner, I mean, of course, intervening in the market in a manner designed to protect the average citizen, as opposed to in a manner designed to increase industry profits at the expense of the average citizen. Let's take, for an example, the food industry, much in the news lately. Why did the government intervene in the food industry in a progressive manner? For the answer, you have to go back to Upton Sinclair's early 1900s book, The Jungle. Warning, what immediately follows is a bit graphic, but it hits appropriately close to home. Quote, Nothing in the jungle sticks with the reader quite like what went into the sausages. There was the rotting ham that could no longer be sold as ham. There were the rat droppings, rat poison, and whole poisoned rats. Most chilling, there were the unnamed things, in comparison with which a poisoned rat was a tidbit. The jungle and the campaign that Sinclair waged after its publication led directly to passage of a landmark federal food safety law which took effect a hundred years ago this week. As a result of Sinclair's crusade, Congress passed the Food and Drug Act, which had been effectively blocked by industry. It became a federal crime to sell adulterated food or drugs, and the new law set up a system of federal inspections. Food had to be labeled, and it was illegal to misstate the contents. Future laws would expand on this newly declared government responsibility to ensure the safety of the nation's food supply. Close quote. But then step in our current-day right-wing free market fanatics. They don't want a true free market, just a market with pro-corporate government interventions, but without any progressive pro-people measures. Quote, in recent years, the momentum has shifted. Since the Reagan era, conservatives have tried to turn government regulation into an epithet. Food safety has been particularly hard hit by this anti-regulatory climate. Harmful bacteria are rampant in meatpacking plants and in produce fields, but government oversight is eroding. The Bush administration has slashed the number of Food and Drug Administration inspectors, and it has installed a former lobbyist for the cattle industry as the Agriculture Department's chief of staff. Close quote. Hence we have, quote, last fall's spinach contamination, which killed three and injured more than 226 states, and the Taco Bell food poisonings, which made dozens of people ill. 
Democrats have recaptured Congress, which should hold hearings to get to the bottom of those recent food disasters. It should push for larger budgets for food inspections and create a single federal agency with responsibility for food safety. Close quote. No, 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 that'll interfere with the, as you now know, non-existent, free market, the right will scream, over and over and over. Then the standard right-wing modus operandi will swing into action, quote, The powerful meat and produce industries can be counted on to call on their allies in Congress and the White House for help in resisting. That would come as no surprise to Sinclair, who was already complaining loudly in 1906 that Armour and Company had contributed $50,000 to the Republican Party and that the meat packers had hired a prominent government official as confidential advisor regarding federal inspection problems. Close quote. Besides adulterated products for sale, there are systemic problems which a market by itself, especially a pro-corporate structured market, will not address. For example, poverty and inequality. The market by itself didn't take care of our elderly and other vulnerable fellow citizens. As Tom Hartman has pointed out, quote, the leading causes of death among the elderly, the widowed, and the disabled after the Republican stock market crash of 1929 included starvation and hypothermia. Before Roosevelt instituted Social Security in 1935, the majority of America's elderly lived in poverty. Today, 2005 when he wrote this, it's 11.9%. But take away Social Security, and today's elderly poverty rate would be 47.6%. Close quote. Ah, uh, Social Security, a successful progressive intervention in the free-for-corporations market. Here's another. In 1964, when Lyndon Johnson launched the War on Poverty, the poverty rate in America was 19%. It declined to 11.1% by 1973, a far steeper drop than had been occurring before the War on Poverty began. And the War on Poverty was never even fully funded as the Vietnam War ate up our national treasure. Any similarities to the present day are solely coincidental. If you get a debate from a right-winger that poverty was declining anyway, Shoot this back at them about the death rate for infants. Quote, Infant mortality among the poor, which had barely declined between 1950 and 1965, fell by one-third in the decade after 1965 as a result of the expansion of federal medical and nutritional programs. Close quote. The free-for-corporations market would have let those babies die. Nobel laureate Joseph Stiglitz theorizes about all this as follows, quote, Adam Smith's invisible hand, the notion that the individual pursuit of maximum profit guides capitalist markets to efficiency, is so invisible because quite often it's just not there. Unfettered markets often produce too much of some things, such as pollution, and too little of other things, such as basic research. John Kenneth Galbraith reminded us that what made the economy work so well was not an invisible hand, but countervailing powers, close quote. And the main countervailing power, that if it's functioning as it should, exercises the collective power of the citizenry of the nation, is the government. Quote, History shows that in every successful country, the government had played an important role. Yes, governments sometimes fail, 
but unfettered markets are a certain prescription for failure. Close quote. When Stiglitz says unfettered markets, he means pro-corporate structured markets unfettered by progressive interventions. How about another quick break now? Upon our return, we'll ramp on up to the moral issues involved here, which, as you might expect, wind up being given exceedingly short shrift by our present-day right-wingers. Even if there did exist a truly free market, its being allowed to function unimpeded isn't the proper selection as our highest value, the one that trumps all. This is even more so the case when the market isn't even really free, but takes the form of the pro-corporate structured market we have now. A market is good for achieving efficiency, making widgets and allocating them the most efficiently according to demand. But efficiency isn't our highest value, is it? Is it yours? If efficiency was all we're concerned about, we'd let quadriplegics just wither away and die. Why feed and care for them? Society has values that trump efficiency. These are the progressive values that seek to reduce human misery, suffering, pain, and death, and increase widespread human health and prosperity. But unfortunately, in the right-wing world view, achieving the unimpeded functioning of what they mischaracterize as a free market is the overriding end goal. Any results flowing therefrom that harm children, animals, and other living things are excused because they're the result of what comes to be thought of as an almost divinely ordained free market. Here's a somewhat esoteric but worth grasping explanation of this. New York Times writer Peter Steinfels is summarizing and quoting from a book by Duncan Foley called Adam's Fallacy, A Guide to Economic Theology. Steinfels writes that, in the right-wing world view, quote, the economic sphere of life constitutes a separate realm in which the pursuit of self-interest is guided by objective laws to a socially beneficent outcome. Close quote. That's a realm, quote, unlike all the rest of social life, in which the pursuit of self-interest is morally problematic and has to be weighed against other ends. Economic laws are cast as universal and invariable. They are even presented as natural laws akin to those of mathematical physics or evolutionary biology, close quote. Results that would otherwise be rejected are thus made acceptable, quote. From the bedrock belief that the pursuit of private self-interest will ultimately benefit the whole society stems a willingness to abide harsh economic measures and consequences ranging from large-scale unemployment to the destruction of traditional cultures. Close quote. In other words, right-wing economics has, quote, suggested what attitudes people should take about those workings and about the moral conflicts accompanying them. Economists all along have been writing theology. These are discussions, above all, of faith and belief, not of fact, and hence theological. Economics functions in a theological role in our society 
to justify the ways of the market to men. Close quote. To justify the ways of the market to men. The level of blind justification of denial right-wingers exhibit concerning how the ways of the market affect flesh-and-blood humans is akin to religious fanaticism. The non-existent free market is the right's false god, their golden calf. What's truly a shame is that some of the highest priests of this right-wing free marketism religion understood all this, understood that the free market had to be progressively regulated to avoid certain unacceptable results. These gurus of right-wing economics issued moral injunctions and social justice-based policy prescriptions which the present-day right-wingers don't seem to know exist, or if they do, they ignore. We progressives have to lead them out of their ignorance or force them out of their willful blindness. What am I talking about? The great-great-granddaddy of all conservative economics, Adam Smith, said in The Wealth of Nations that, quote, It is but equity that they who feed, clothe, and lodge the whole body of the people should have such a share of the produce of their own labor as to be themselves tolerably well-fed, clothed, and lodged, close quote. In other words, Adam Smith here engraved in stone a commandment that thou shalt not allow the market to create wage slaves unable to survive on what they earn. Tell that to a right-winger complaining about minimum wage laws. Begin to insulate yourself from their calumny. Another pope of right-wing economics is Milton Friedman. Listen to this, which I had no idea of myself, until a recent column by Robert H. Frank enlightened me. Quote, Milton Friedman, who died last week at 94, was the patron saint of small government conservatism. Conservatives who invoke his name in defense of social security privatization and other cutbacks in the social safety net might thus be surprised to learn that he was also the architect of the most successful social welfare program of all time. Close quote. Friedman understood that, quote, market forces can accomplish wonderful things, but they cannot ensure a distribution of income that enables all citizens to meet basic economic needs. His proposal, which he called the negative income tax, was to replace the multiplicity of existing welfare programs with a single cash transfer, say $6,000, to every citizen. A family of four with no market income would thus receive an annual payment from the IRS of $24,000. For each dollar the family then earned, this payment would be reduced by some fraction, perhaps 50%. Close quote. This plan was not adopted by Congress. Quote, Instead, Congress adopted the Earned Income Tax Credit, essentially the same program except that only people who were employed received benefits one of the few American welfare programs widely adopted in other countries. By all accounts, Mr. Friedman was a generous and compassionate man, someone more keenly aware of good luck's contribution to individual prosperity than many of his disciples. Careful students of his work will be inspired not to dismantle the social safety net, but to make it more effective." Close quote. Yes, 
Tell that to the next right winger you hear trying to dismantle the social safety net. Tell them to be, instead, generous and compassionate. Finally, how about a further insulation from right-wing denigration, which we can receive from a powerful source outside the world of economic theorists? Many right-wing free marketers call themselves Christian, correct? Well, Pope John Paul II was one of the leading anti-communist, anti-socialist, even anti-welfare state figures of the 20th century. Yet, Here's some of what he had to say about the free market, and the following is part of the official teaching of his church. Quote, there are many human needs which find no place on the market. It is a strict duty of justice and truth not to allow fundamental human needs to remain unsatisfied and not to allow those burdened by such needs to perish. Even prior to the logic of a fair exchange of goods and the forms of justice appropriate to it, there exists something which is due the person because he is a person by reason of his lofty dignity. Inseparable from that required something is the possibility to survive and at the same time to make an active contribution to the common good of humanity. Within individual societies it is possible and right to organize a solid economy which will direct the functioning of the market to the common good. There is a similar need for adequate interventions on the international level. Close quote. Direct the functioning of the market to the common good. These would be the progressive interventions you and I are fighting for. The Pope's analysis, as he explains, flows from the lesson of the parable of the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25, 31-46. There, Jesus says that whether you go to heaven or hell is determined by whether you ensure that the hungry are fed, the sick tended to, the naked clothed, the stranger, biblical language for immigrants' refugees, welcomed. Many non-Catholic denominations have a similar view of what Matthew 25 requires of us. Ironic, isn't it, that so many free marketers who call themselves Christian, just as they don't follow the moral injunctions and social justice corrective policy prescriptions of the high priests of their economic religion, Adam Smith and Milton Friedman, they also ignore the moral injunctions and social justice policy prescriptions of the founder of their religion religion and the leaders who followed him. These right-wingers worship the market above all, above their theological religion, and believe the market can do no wrong, even though the market, if uncorrected by progressive measures, produces unnecessary human misery, suffering, pain, and death, the exact opposite of what Jesus called upon us to accomplish in Matthew 25. All this the right-wingers do for the sake of making a few more bucks. So there you have it. We've certainly covered a lot of ground here, haven't we? We've discussed how the free market is really a complex, government-created, pro-corporate market structure. We went over some of the unacceptable results that occur when this pro-corporate structure is allowed to function without progressive interventions. And finally, we delved a bit into the moral and philosophical edifice that the right has erected to justify their free market sham. I hope you've seen the big picture 
as well as grabbed on to a few choice nuggets to use the next time you're speaking to a right-winger. The recently departed noted economist John Kenneth Galbraith wrote, quote, The modern conservative is engaged in one of man's oldest exercises in moral philosophy, that is, the search for a superior moral justification for selfishness, close quote. The free market sham is a critical part of that effort. I'm not bashing all the rich. Maybe I'm rich myself. Maybe, like Roosevelt, I'd be considered by right-wingers a traitor to my class. It's okay some people are rich, but not so rich that there's not enough left to go around that others have to do without necessities. Make no mistake about it. It's the right-wingers, rich or just brainwashed, who justify such obscenity with slogans like the free market who are the targets of my opprobrium, as they should be of yours. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on the podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. A quick voting report. As I suggested, we slid down from number 4 to number 10 on the Podcast Alley Top 10. Yet another right-wing economics podcast has jumped ahead of us. And of all things, a Bible-reading podcast is right behind Blast the Right at number 11. So, we need a lot more votes from all you thousands of listeners out there who haven't decided yet to vote for Blast the Right in January right now. Last week's podcast on the trucking industry produced some of the heaviest email ever. A lot of good comments from truckers, retired truckers, even a British trucker. I'm going to go through it all and probably do a follow-up segment incorporating all those comments. I want to remind you that the day after this podcast comes out Friday from 3 to 3.15, there'll be a live right-wingers call-in to challenge Jack Clark. Dial 310-933-5891 or Skype me at Jack from Blast the Right. And now a word from the Progressive Podcast Network. The Progressive Podcast Network. Now we are the media. Listen to your media. Take your country back. ProgressivePodcastNetwork.org Music credits. The break music was Not the One Blues and L.A. Nightmare by 22 Caliber. We'll close with a bit of We Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Keep all that great email coming in? Write to me, rational at adelphia.net. Besides the right-wing call-in, you can call in 24-7 and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also do so on Skype. My name there is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, 
including all you right-wing misguided souls. I'm stocking shirts in a Walmart store Just like the ones we made before Except this one came from Singapore I guess we can't make it here anymore Should I hate a people for the shade of their skin Or the shape of their eyes or the shape I'm in Should I hate them for having our jobs today No, I hate the men sent the jobs away I can see them all now, they haunt my dreams All lily white and squeaky clean They never known want, they'll never know need The don't stink and the kids won't bleed The kids won't bleed in the damn little war And we can't make it here anymore 